broadcasting live from a frozen lake this is the monstrous feminine the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror my name is taya and i'm joined by my bloodsuckers mila louisa and zayla and our last episode for pride month in season two is let the right one in directed by thomas alfredson before we get into the film go ahead and follow us on spotify youtube or the apple podcast app you can find all of our links on our instagram at the monstrous feminine podcast In Let the Right One In, 12-year-old Oscar struggles with school bullies and family problems, but soon finds respite when he meets his new neighbour, Ellie. Oscar develops a crush on Ellie and the two form a relationship. Murders around the town begin to pile up and eventually Oscar learns that Ellie is actually a vampire. So I read this book for the first time when I was, I think, a freshman in high school. And it was because I was in a class where, so we had to write to like embassies of different countries and tell us why we were interested in their country. And I assigned Sweden. (laughs) And yeah, I know, right? And so I was like looking up famous things from Sweden and this book was one of the things that I saw and I was like, cool, I'm going to read it and put it in this letter. I did not put this in this letter. I'll tell you that much. I read this book and was horrified and I was like, let me just go watch some Swedish movie or something. This ain't going in here. But this book, like the movie for this is a lot more tame than the book. Like in the book, the vampire character is like hundreds of years old and the person who is their guardian is actually actually a pedophile who they allow to molest them in order to bring them people to kill and they like explicitly describe some of the stuff in the book and it's just very disturbing you finished it yeah with the entire book it's not a bad book but it is a very weird concept and there's like uh i think it's an octavia butler vampire book that also has like a similar stance of like there's also a child vampire who's with like a pedophile who like brings them bodies and stuff to eat and so I don't know if it's like somewhere in lore where that happened but it was just a really bizarre thing to read at a young age I was just see every episode I'm just like here's how I traumatized myself when I was a child I went into it thinking like oh this is gonna be like a just like a little creepy vampire book but it was so bizarre but I will say like the movie they made creepy without going into detail detail about all the different things that make it creepy like the guy who's her caretaker actually like does venture out and like try to molest other children and stuff it's just weird it's fucking weird but anyway the embassy of sweden was really nice and they, they sent me like a bunch of swedish candy <laughs> that's and really stuff. sweet whoa <laughs> and like a flag and like a t-shirt and stuff it was so like sweet especially because like the letter was really basic because i was like i can't put this book in here so i think i wrote my like letter about like ingmar bergman or something in film which also is very on brand with my aquarius ass i mean not for sweden <laughs> at least that's like their spielberg you know yeah I did think maybe I want to read the book, but now like maybe I'll give it a pass. I think the film is great at being quite slice of life in a way. And like you said, subtly dark and ominous and disturbing without showing too much. We had talked about like not our favorite films or the films that scared us most like a couple episodes back. This film doesn't scare me the most, but it's like one of the ones that does get under my skin the most in like quite a subtle way. 
They also were a bit more realistic than like Twilight. A bit. A lot of Twilight slander these this month. In this month of Pride, no. Why wouldn't you go to like Scandinavia if you're a vampire? <laughs> That's fair. It's it dark. just makes so much more sense. Why would you be chilling in Washington? The summertime in Washington is not just simply not dark enough for that. I mean, in fairness, in Scandinavia, summertime is like 24 hours a day. Yeah, you would just go somewhere else during the summer. The Monstrous Feminine is on Apple Podcasts, so please go leave us a five-star review and leave us a little message. If you do engage with our content, you might just get a shout-out in our next episode as our Witch of the Week. This episode, our Witch of the Week, is from Ash Kent, who left us a five-star review and said, Love this podcast. Really enjoyed their informed and opinionated analysis of horror films, their range of views, and their fun chat, which makes you feel a part of the conversation. This podcast made me love horror films so much more than I already did. I hope the podcast continues forever and ever, XX. Ah, I can tell you're from the United Kingdom because of the XX. It will last forever and ever because we're all vampires and we're all immortal. Yeah, so true, bestie. I hope you have a wonderful Pride Month. Gay or straight, queer. And I'm so glad that we make you feel like you're part of the conversation. That's brilliant. That's our whole goal. We want this to be a big, fun, welcoming film club. So be sure to leave us your thoughts. If you follow us on Instagram and comment on our posts, we always see them friendly reminder that we are also on patreon for one pound a month you gain access to our discord for three pounds a month you get to hear a cut discussion from our main episodes and for five pounds a month you get all that plus a bonus episode please support us any contribution helps i wanted to talk a bit more you mentioned the novel and the differences with the novel i wanted to talk about um that a little bit more in relation to the kind of trans coding that's going on in this film so apparently the novel was i haven't read the novel but taya since you have you can be our resident expert but yeah apparently the novel presents ellie as much more androgynous and says that they were castrated years ago and that after this confession they um they switch from using she pronouns to he pronouns so i feel like the sort of trans allegory is much more like real in this i'm not saying it's perfect because it's still tied to like i feel like here in terms of our conversations about gender we're still tying it to genitals because like the only reason that the trans thing comes up is because of the castration and then that made them trans because they're castrated like i feel like that element of it is absolutely problematic but in terms of just like raising the conversation the novel is much more forthcoming about that than i thought the film was i was actually really uncomfortable by that nude shot i did not understand it i did not get it i did not realize that that was a scar i actually thought it looked more like hair like to be fair i didn't really look too hard at it because i was like this is supposed to be a 12 year old's vagina like i had a moment of just like why is this here but apparently that was like meant to be a scar and it was meant to hint at like that novel backstory of like ellie being castrated formally the film just kind of basically tones down i think the trans elements in some ways but I think they're still very trans-coded, especially with the whole dialogue that they have. Like, when she says, Oscar, do you like me? Even if I was a girl, would you like me anyway? And he says, do you want to be my girlfriend? And Ellie says, Oscar, I'm not a girl. I wanted to talk about that scene because had I not known beforehand that these are trans characters or a trans-coded story or whatever, had I gone in blind, I'm not sure I would have come out of that scene thinking necessarily that they were trans or non-binary because when i don't know like not a girl is like 
also could have meant I am not 12 years old as you understand me to be as in like I am an adult or I'm I'm not human or they they then have a conversation I think where he explicitly asks like are you human and she says something like I'm like you so yes so in that I guess it's like but I I think I totally would have it would have gone right over my head had I not been looking for it of like I'm not a girl I would would have meant like I am not human I'm immortal I'm older than a girl aged you would not call a thousands year old or centuries year old or decades year old person a girl. That's how I interpreted it. But I know that in the book, it's meant to be that. But I but like, when I came out of it, I'm like, if the book did, did not exist, if this was just like a standalone movie, I would struggle with people's interpretation of it without explicit mention of like the castration. And even that is like problematic, because I don't think castration makes gender or that genitals make gender. That's interesting that you say that because I just feel like I had a different experience watching it. So I didn't read about the castration or the novel element plot until after when I was, I'd already seen the film. But even hearing that, maybe it's a little bit of a Queen of the Damned thing where I isolate dialogue a bit. But I do think you do that a bit in horror and broadly speaking, it did seem a bit transcoded to me. Just that line of like, I'm not a girl. Well, actually it was a hypothetical statement. It was like, would you still like me if I wasn't a girl? Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. That, it just seemed, I don't know, it just seemed like a queer conversation to have. I know that's taking it out of context. I feel like almost reading the backstory put it a bit more in context, but then the novel makes it like more definitively queer, I think. So it situates it a bit better. But also Oscar seems like quite a queer character himself in the sense that he's a little bit more gentle, sensitive. But also when he's confronted with that question, he's not thinking vampire or immortal thing at all. He just hears, would you still like me if I wasn't a girl? And obviously he's like, yeah, okay, yeah, what, whatever. Like, <laughs> whatever you got going, I'm down. Like, He does seem a bit queer. Yeah, he also feels like masculine pressures. Like he starts lifting weights. The fact, like you said, he doesn't care that Ellie says that they're not a girl. Also, it's, I think it's hinted that his father is queer. Like his father's in a gay relationship. Like, the absentee father is revealed to, like, have a lover who he feels uncomfortable around. I don't know. It just, the energy around Oscar feels queer. I don't know how to place it, where to place it on the LGBT plus spectrum. But because of that, and then because of that dialogue, I was like, oh, this feels like a kind of transcoded allegory type situation. In the book, if I'm remembering correctly, I think, I know Oscar was bullied and they did show it in the movie. But in the book, I believe that they called him like homophobic slurs while he was being bullied and like implied because he was so small and like feminine looking that he had to be gay. And they also like kind of in more detail describe that Ellie had like uh, a mound where it was just like no genitals and so yeah it was the weird pedophile thing of like further detail of describing the genitals in that context and so yeah I agree like it's very much almost to me like how in like a biblical context angels don't have gender supernatural things having gender to me doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense so i think making ellie not have a gender made more sense in terms of through the centuries it wouldn't be the hardest thing to think of someone being able to switch between genders or uh not aligning with one singular gender if they've been alive for like thousands or hundreds of years it seems almost less probable that they would be so strictly on the binary of male or female especially when you take like life off of the table and human perception of who you are because those things matter so much less when you are more powerful than a human 
I understand that they obviously, the film wanted to imply a lot more of the story than describe it. But I agree that if I didn't have the context of the novel and that the character had been like castrated as a child, I'm not sure if I would have like actually come to that conclusion. Maybe the filmmaker wanted it to be very ambiguous, but I feel like it would have maybe been better if there wasn't that shot. Instead, we only got Oscar's perspective of it and that he maybe asked her outright we didn't need to see it i feel like we didn't need to see it it was one thing in this film that i didn't understand why it was there yeah we could have gotten a shot of somebody of him seeing it and being like what's up with that and then her giving us backstory (laughs) yeah that's how he would have said it what's up with that I don't know, it makes you like really speculate about like, did they do that to themselves? What happened? It doesn't imply the forced nature of it, which actually maybe is good because then I can absolve myself of believing that like the, the, the transness of it is forced. Unless the, the point is that this is a young person. I mean, not a young person, but like a person who whose body they don't feel like secure in. But it's also that, like, at this point, we don't know how long that their body has been like that. If they've just embraced it in this, like, I am not a girl identity is related to accepting what has happened. In the book, I'm I'm pretty sure the reason why Ellie presented as feminine is because it was the caretaker's preference. Oh, God. And so they just kind of like went along with it. But I believe they also explained to Oscar in the book that that is like how they've survived as like times became more modern because they needed to feed on people. It would be easier for someone to bring them back the blood than for them to take down an adult. It's just such a strange arrangement that they have going. Like at one point he says like people are think it's like people are starting to notice that we live in the same apartment. Like what are you going to do about that? And it's like, yeah, I in, in one sense, I understand that like you who present as a 12 year old cannot go out and hunt all the time. But at the same time, you cannot be running around to different towns with a full grown man who is your like caretaker. Like people are going to start thinking weird, something weird's going on, something weird is going on. And it's like, we, it's strange to me that that is never interrogated by the people around them. Yeah. Okay. So I just looked at the Wikipedia just to like refresh my memory a bit of the book and also Hakan the guy who was the caretaker he um actually was fired from his job because he was a teacher who had child pornography does she have the mind of a 12 year old that's the whole thing that I struggle with it says she was turned into a child and stuck forever in the young mind and body of a child that's what I was wondering because I was like this whole thing in this film like I can get on board with the romance but I was like only if I'm assuming that her development was frozen as a 12 year old i was i cannot vibe with the idea i mean that's just twilight yeah exactly exactly and that's the weird thing about twilight is that it's like are you just like this really old like person but they imply in twilight that he also developmentally is 17 which is how they get away with it yeah i don't remember them implying that because a lot of people do comment on the weird age relationship in this like the fact that Ellie is supposed to be a 200 plus old vampire but I was like okay I'm gonna I'm just not gonna really interrogate that in my head I'm gonna view it as Ellie is frozen as a 12 year old therefore it's just two 12 year olds but then the other end of the spectrum it's a 12 year old and a full-grown caretaker who 
I don't know if it's better for me to believe that that is a 200-year-old in the body of a 12-year-old. No, 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 no. Sorry. Hakan, no matter which way you spin it, is a pedophile. I don't know how to... That's the other element of this film where I'm like, bah, and book, actually, because I'm like, why is there so much pedophilia? I don't know. I just feel like it's not interrogated enough. I interpreted it as that she was not mentally 12, that she was hundreds of years old. I didn't see the romance as something innocent and sweet, at least from her perspective. I really just saw it as her manipulating situation to get someone else to like help her you know do her hunting survive like i know that's slightly more depressing at the end of the book they run off together um which is kind of bizarre again when you think about it because oscar is a child and ellie is technically 212 years old the film obviously had to cut a lot from the book and i feel like it struggled to balance the darker themes of the book with like what it wanted to focus on which is obviously like the relationship but then, I don't know, it seems like they were in conflict a bit. I feel like the movie and the book are also are kind of implying the same thing with the title saying, let the right one in, because you have to invite vampires in for them to be able to come in your house, according to Lore, and he did not let the right one in, because regardless of what friendship they formed, Ellie is manipulating Oscar, even though he just doesn't have anyone in his life who's ever really taken up for him or listened to him or found anything about him very valuable. So when Ellie comes and immediately like befriends him and is nice to him and listens to him, it's very easy for him to get caught up in the idea that this is a great person. She does kill for him and I guess she does it like with the authentic like with the authenticity in that she believes and maybe it's true that he also wants to kill people and what if he could and that she's doing him this very nice solid as a loyal friend i think he did have desires to kill in the books though or to some extent was like yeah would like watch violent stuff but what i think the movie kind of, I mean, I would hate to say it, but I feel like they almost needed to explain the relationship with Hakan and Ellie because it just seemed like, is he her father? Is he who turned her? Like, it just wasn't clear enough that he was like a creep. The movie almost made it seem like, I mean, I know it's, this is not the case, but it almost seemed like she she's the killer. She's in charge. That like her mind is not 12 and that she has manipulated him into whatever arrangement that they have, which is wrong and like... But I, I don't think, like you said, I think they need to make the relationship more clear for that not to be what people come away with. He just found someone who is so vulnerable that they can have sort of this parasitic relationship. I wanted to just talk a little bit about the blood mixing scene when Oscar is like, Let's have a blood pact. Kids are like that. Did y'all have blood packs as a kid? Kids no, be doing I've that. No, I've never done not. that. I feel like it's only in like it. Oh, definitely. I also never did it. <laughs> Zeva, you did it. Didn't you? Of course I did it. I did I did it all. I feel like as a kid, I was like more susceptible to those kinds of activities. And this one, obviously this film's like 2008. And it's set in 1982, and apparently, according to B.J. Colangelo for Gaily Dreadful, they're saying that in 1981, Michael Gottlieb basically discovered PCP, which among gay men, which led to a report from the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention that has since been considered the first scientific publication regarding the virus that would later be named HIV/AIDS. 
basically they were kind of identifying that that might be like somewhat of a a nod to the AIDS epidemic. That is a very interesting way to take that. I just thought it was like talking about blood brothers that people would do back in the day. Is it? I think immediately though, I think especially in that time, but even now when I see people like things like that with like open wounds, immediately I think AIDS. I think that's just like the conditioning that we've had, like, cause now we know where it comes from and how it spreads. I, I guess we noticed it in another vampire film that we did. Um, was it The Hunger? I think we become less and less attuned to those, like I wouldn't even call it like a dog whistle. I don't even know. Those like subtle nods to AIDS because we have PrEP, we have all kinds of drugs now to like handle before you have it and after you have it and you can live a life with HIV and it's not like life ending as it was. But like, I, I think even still now my brain is like, that's dangerous, don't do that. Like. <laughs> that's immediately it's not just like generally dangerous like there's all kinds of diseases you can get that way but my brain goes AIDS immediately yeah it's like that conditioning every time we talk about queerness and then vampires there is some sort of like in there I mean that's what blood is associated with in the queer community although I feel like the hunger was more so like well definitely more so an AIDS more explicit yeah worked worked better as an AIDS allegory because of the whole like aging thing and like the fact that he was getting poorly without like uh, for some reason, he was aging rapidly, and it did kind of resemble the rapid deterioration that AIDS victims would experience. But here, it was just, it did seem innocent. But I did think it was something you'd like potentially discuss, just throwing in. It's hard to know how other countries dealt with their own like, AIDS crisis and like how it's portrayed in their media. Like it, it could be different, um, more subtle, more obvious. And I feel like sometimes American or English critics will paint a very broad brush of like history to other films outside of even though like obviously it's still European how countries handle things is very different than like how they're experienced like I'm thinking we're in the pandemic now and I imagine that there will be media that is a reflection of people's pandemic anxieties they're making it now and it'll be for probably the rest of our lives people will make things even subconsciously that like zombie films and things that just like remind you of like viruses and we're definitely going to get that and i think that like the aids epidemic had its own spawn of movie babies that are even subconsciously related to that anxiety of even like that the the period of time where people didn't know how it spread is like very scary for people and i think that like i'm willing to believe that like why it comes up in so many like explicitly queer movies and queer coded movies is because it's such a subconscious thing. It's something to do with the body. It's so visceral. I mean, it makes sense that it shows up in horror, but like, I think that human reaction to illness is universal, like cross countries, like political response to that is different depending on the culture, but like how the anxiety that people develop around illness, I think is like pretty similar across cultures and backgrounds. Moving on from that context, there was another bit that Matt Buczynski for Little White Lies identified that when Lack and his girlfriend Virginia discuss the nuclear hysteria and the upcoming elections, these aren't just real life in- details. In 1982, a Soviet sub ran aground in sight of a Swedish naval base, and then the government was on the verge of defeat or something. There are also kind of details that provided backdrop to real life. So basically, he identifies some sort of nuclear conversation that takes place. But also, Eli, Eli sorry, says that um, you could sell 
one of their like that golden egg thing to buy a nuclear plant and i thought it's weird that there's kind of like nuclear undertones here i did think it was slight slight nod to the fact that this is set in 1982 so it was like potentially commenting on like cold war era don't know if there's much more to go into that like i don't think that there's any deeper point to be made necessarily there so this book is actually named after a morrissey song called let the right one slip in yeah i saw that um yeah because the author is like a big fan that's so weird and this song actually came out in 1988 but it's like let the right one in let the old dreams die let the wrong ones go they cannot they cannot they cannot do what you want them to do I think they might say some Morrissey quotes in the movie, but also the author's father drowned in a harbor. And so the book has like the pivotal near drowning scene in the swimming pool. I loved the swimming pool scene. Just like, like visually, all right, whatever. Like, I think bullying in horror movies is like a weird trope. I feel like it just like, I don't know, it's strange. But when that head fell in that pool, I love the scene that he's still holding on to the kid's hair like while you know the massacre is going on. And I'm sitting there like, let go, dude. Like you're still hanging on while all your friends are getting massacred. And then that one young man who's left over who was like always not down with the shit. Like he was always very apprehensive at like the other bullying behavior. There was two kids who were, but there was that one kid who was like visibly shook all the time, who was the only one left who didn't get, who didn't get slaughtered, but his punishment was he had to like watch it. I thought, and he's just like sitting there sobbing on the bleachers. I honestly, chef's kiss. It was a really incredible scene to me. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast, and on Twitter at The Mon Femme Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod. Brooms up, which is out.